0: This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is the third in a series, which is under the headline of The Great Shutdown, which is a 91 initiative. And today I'm speaking to Russell Silverstone, who's an investment strategist at the Investment Institute at 91 in London. And Russell, we spoke a couple of days ago uh, on another subject, but today the paragraph is as follows. The International Monetary and Financial System, the IMFS, is in trouble. Now that sounds quite dramatic to me. Just give us the background, if you would.
1: Yeah, hello there, Lindsay. So, so what we mean by the international monetary and financial system, it, it, it's literally the plumbing behind the entire um, sort of financial system uh, uh, under which the, um, the, the the world operates, and uh, the, the the current system has been in place for well, by by August this year, it would have been in place for forty years, and really, we're at this piece just because it's it's. You know, yet again the financial system has has been bowed out with with trillions of dollars of of, of money. And people have been calling for reform for the way that the, the, the plumbing works, and we're wondering whether you know this finally is is, is the sort of catalyst to, to, to prompt that change.
0: Okay, so plumbing is obviously very important. And before we go into the details of the piece that you kindly sent me, do you think that what's going on at the moment is something that is Going to fundamentally change the plumbing or revamp the plumbing that has been in place for so long. I mean, it's almost like the sewers of London. I mean, you go to London quite regularly, obviously, before the lockdown. And if you go along the River Thames, you'll see this massive, massive replumbing of the city of London. It's almost like the analogies which I love to use. It's almost as though the financial system may be re- being replumbed before our very eyes.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great analogy, actually. And at the end of the day, as the sort of the great stinking whenever it was 1850 or so the politicians finally decided to build those fantastic victorian sewers the cost was deemed so high that that reform became absolutely necessary and 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 you know the same is going to happen in the financial plumbing if the crisis that we're going through is deemed to be so great and the cost is is so great then, then it will prompt change and historically the way the plumbing has been made up has changed several times and only once in the one hundred and fifty years of history that we've talked about here has, has the sort of plumbing been changed by widespread agreement, and the rest of the time it's generally sort of the plumbing sort of broken apart, and even whilst we're not saying that, it's it's you know we find understanding that history is important, and you know it's certainly a possibility this time around.
0: Yes, I'll just go back to your first paragraph or your first sentence in your first paragraph. It says, it's seen as the glue that binds national economies together. It should allow countries to use macroeconomic policies to achieve non-inflationary growth, which is a utopian dream that may unravel quite soon, according to certain people. It should minimize risks to financial stability and it should promote economic growth by channeling resources in an efficient manner over geography and time. Those three things coming together... I mean, I can see one, maybe two working together, but I can't see all three of them at the moment anyway, given the volatility and the uncertainty.
1: That's exactly the point, which is, you know, throughout history, it's actually been impossible to to, to have all of those at the same time um, or for any, any sort of meaningful sense of time. And so you know it's a political choice do do you want capital to flow freely around the world? Do you want uh, independent monetary policy or do you want financial stability and and the three is 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 the sort of you know the, the eternal triangle uh, that we, we talk about it's it's, it's the trilemma and it's a political choice you know some people have to decide what they want. And and you know, at the moment in the West we have free flowing capital and and independent monetary policy, but we don't have financial stability. Interestingly, the the Chinese model is is different. China has has quite strict capital control, so it doesn't allow capital to float really but it absolutely has independent monetary policy and you know arguably relative financial stability as gauged by the cost of their interventions in markets uh, in recent weeks which is much much lower than we've seen in, in, in western economies.
0: You say the following we ask some dangerous questions in this the third paper of our great shutdown series and this is the third podcast in that great shutdown series. The first question is, why is the US dollar at the heart of the IMFS, despite the rise of China and increasing importance of emerging markets to the global economy? And I'll ask an extra question to that. Does the fact that the dollar is the centerpiece, does it make us even more vulnerable because of the policies of the United States and its US Federal Reserve?
1: Absolutely, it does. So um, the dominance of the dollar really goes back to, to to the end of the Second World War and the the adoption of the, the Bretton Woods system, whereby the, the the dollar became the sort of linchpin of the of, of the global economy. At the time, the dollar actually was still still fixed to gold, and you know the, we, we illustrate now sort of the US has really been declining in global importance ever since that moment. Actually, so you know whilst it accounts for fifteen percent of of global GDP it dominates financial markets so so it's sort of 50 percent of global trade invoices it's two-thirds of external emerging market debt it's two-thirds of official foreign exchange reserves so on and so forth so, so it absolutely dominates and, and what that means of course is that it dominates so much that the, that the federal reserve who set policy for domestic u.s reasons that policy actually reverberates around the world um and and, and we've got this sort of crazy situation because the dollar dominates markets, where there's somewhere in the region of $12 trillion of debt that sits outside of the US that's actually been lent by non-US lenders. So you've sort of got a market within a market. And of course, the Federal Reserve is affecting that policy. So yeah, it absolutely reverberates through, through around the world. And you, you really only have one Sort of interest rate to, 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 to rule them all.
0: Exactly. So if the US dollar versus the euro or the US dollar index falls by even a small amount, like half a percent, it reverberates around the world, whether you're an importer, an exporter, a macroeconomist, a fiscal authoritarian, in whatever country. It's absolutely all, all absorbing, if you see what I mean. Your second question you ask is. Why is the current system now considered untenable by senior central bankers? And why have they not evolved sooner, given their doubts? In other words, well, actually, I'll put this forward to you as well, maybe COVID-19 is going to make them evolve quicker.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the reason it hasn't and, and it is evolving i think slowly so, so obviously the the rise of china is clearly having an impact but at the end of the day central bankers can see these problems you know they, they've again had to, to, to print trillions as, as i've said but we say they're, they're administrators they're, they're they're technicians they are they are the ones implementing um government policy and you know, it's up to governments to decide what monetary system they actually want and so you know the central bankers can can, can cajole from the sidelines but actually it's the politicians that have really got to say look we are not happy um, with the level of support we're having to provide to financial markets to make them work properly Um, so ultimately you know this is and and, and again throughout history um, it's a political decision
0: yes it is third point you make is it because a tectonic shift to a new system, one that revolutionises the nature of money via new technology, perhaps, is a political decision? That's a, the sort of question that I can't quite conceptualise, but maybe you could explain it.
1: Yeah, so absolutely. So it's it's really sort of very interesting. It, 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 this actually goes back to the, the the nature of money and the vast majority of, of of money in this in in the financial system is actually created by commercial banks and, and uh, the, the simple example will be you know if, if you go and borrow um, 100,000 euros dollars or whatever it may be from from a bank it, it doesn't get that from the commercial bank it gets so it doesn't get it from a central bank it gets it from a commercial bank it creates that money by fiat it it uh, borrows the money from from, from in the market um, it puts a capital charge against it and and, and through leverage um, it extends you hundred euros. Uh, so, that's nothing to do with the central bank at all. You know, that, that's the hundred thousand euros that's been created. You go and buy whatever it is of that hundred thousand euros and that hundred thousand euros gets deposited back at a commercial bank. So, 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 the vast majority of money in the system, you know, is, is flowing around from commercial banks and the amount is governed by the leverage that, that, that they have and that's governed by capital. The only sort of central bank money, sovereign money, if you like, is notes and coins. So, so physical money, and the reserves that those commercial banks have to keep for prudential reasons the central bank. The digital money is, is 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 sort of mind-blowing stuff because it's potentially access to those central bank reserves could be given to individuals um, rather than just commercial banks. So all of a sudden, you know, rather than you sort of placing money at, at, you know, whatever bank you decide it is, you have the the possibility of of placing money at a central bank. um, And that becomes becomes a, a new form of liability and then you can get some really interesting stuff you know uh, in china at the moment they're trialing this lindsay and and you know they're able to track exactly where everyone is going in the system so we end yes. up with a new form of sovereign money so it's very very interesting
0: it's very interesting indeed and the final question is very interesting but we've teased already towards this final question or the final point in your piece the final point is, has the level of pressure now built up enough to prompt change, and if so, what is change russell
1: well yeah, absolutely and, and to be honest you know it's really it's really hard to answer this because you know history's uh, if history's our guide, you know it you can either evolve the system or, or you you just have a massive revolution of the system and it just breaks down in in a messy fashion i mean I, I think there's a few options here you know one we essentially. Uh, moved to, to sort of a, a, a multipolar system. So the dominance of the dollar in the financial system diminishes over time and 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 china the the, the renminbi becomes far more widespread uh, and that could be regional and, and and to an extent it's happening but it's happening very very slowly but of course go back to my sort of eternal triangle if china wants that it has to lose capital controls because you you can't be a a bedrock of a financial system with with, with a closed capital account uh, and equally the u.s um, for, for it to decline, it, it needs to rely less on, on foreigners and needs to save more because there'll be less people willing to lend on us. So, you know, that, that's, that's one possibility we've touched on digital currency so you know literally we have a a brand new type of central bank money that you know radically if if you think about the way i describe that you know who needs a commercial bank when actually a central bank can do it all i mean highly unlikely but it's certainly possible Um, or we just have this sort of big messy breakdown you know again in history we're seeing this and it's sort of every country for themselves again I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and, and then the final thing is, you know, what happened in the aftermath of the Second World War was was it was a global agreement. Uh, you know, virtually every country in the world sat around a table at Bretton, Bretton Woods in New Hampshire and and you know banged out a new system. But it doesn't feel like that world well to me at the moment. I think global cooperation is very low. So you mm. know, we, we're not we're not coming down with a sort of central scenario here. We're just saying you know, these are the sort of things that, that that we should be looking at. And 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 it's not clear, and you know, we may well double on for a few more years, Lizzie. But, you know, the, the, the big idea is, you know, yet again, the cost of, of supporting of the financial system is running into trillions and, and, and we're really asking, you know, how long can this go on?
0: It's quite fascinating. So we need China to open up, which they're not going to do because of the uh, nationalism that is pervading across the whole world, whether it be China or whether it be a small country in Latin America. Uh, We need America to start saving. That's one thing that could happen because of the current situation. Maybe people will sit down and say, well, actually, no, we don't need to contribute to this 70% spending-dominated economy. We're actually going to rein ourselves in and save a bit but the connotations of what is going on at the moment are manifold and it's going to be fascinating you're going to be writing something every couple of weeks i reckon
1: <laughs> yeah i'm not sure of that i'm not sure of that quickly but absolutely And it's it's you know we put a marker down here and said look you know please be aware of, of this is this is the reality of the plumbing the plumbing's under under pressure and and you know have a look at history it it, it does change and 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 actually the, the current system under which we operate which is is a hybrid system. It's an inflation targeting system, um, has been in place for nearly forty years now, and 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 that's only three years shorter than the gold standard actually survived, and it's a lot longer than Bretton Woods survived. So you know, change is long overdue, but quite what, what sort of form that takes is is quite frankly hard hard to the divine at the moment.
0: Russell, thanks so much for your analysis. That's Russell Silberston, investment strategist at the Investment Institute at ninety one in London.